Good afternoon, and welcome to our April 26, 2023 Community Readiness Podcast. Today with me is our co-responder clinician, uh, Hillary Nussbaum. Uh, Hillary came to us back in September of 2021, I believe it is already. Yep. It seems like yesterday. Um, as our co-responder for Mental Health Runs. Uh, since then, Hillary has been become part of our police family um, and has just done tremendous things for our community. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how this all became together. Okay. Um, you know, the, our previous chiefs, um, Phil Lang Langmeyer for obvious, obviously Bloomfield Township, Chief Gannon from mm -hmm. Auburn Hills, and Chief Clements, now retired out of Birmingham, came together and um, decided and put together a program that has now become a model Yep. Um, throughout the state, we hope. Um, it's, yeah. it's really in Oakland County been taking off, but their, their goal was um, to assist the officers responding to the mental health calls or behavioral crisis calls that we respond to with professional help, with resources that officers typically just aren't um, comfortable with or mm -hmm. don't have the knowledge of. Yep. Um, and so that brought upon your job. Yes. Um, so, Let's t talk about a little what, what it is. The, our co-responder program is what we call the core program. Mm -hmm. It's a partnership between us and Oakland County. Um, Oakland o Community Health Network. Oakland yeah. Community Health Network, um, who you're actually employed through, but yeah. paid for by all our police departments. So, so it's a great partnership. Um, and it took us, what, a good nine months or so to build the program before we even implemented it. Yes. Um, we, we noticed, we recognized through the police departments that the officers were um, our calls for service, whether it was a family trouble, whether it was a drug overdose, um, were increasing, mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic. Yep. Um, but there was a real need for the officers to have another resource, which I don't want to just refer to you as a resource, but the it's resources true, in that, that you can provide our officers and the training mm -hmm. has been I don't even know if we can measure it accurately, especially internally. Um, so we are so happy to have you there. Give us a little insight from your perspective, coming from, you know, you were in the public schools before, yeah. jumping into being probably one of the first co-responders, at least in our area. We know Battle Creek, we know Lansing had right. some type of programs, but yeah. from an outsider coming in, what's it been like for you? Uh, this has been um, by far a career highlight for me um, as a social worker and coming into it, I think all of us kind of felt like we were building a plane in the air, not really knowing exactly what was gonna unfold. Um, but over the last couple of years, I think we've built a really solid program. Um, and it's really exciting to see other organizations join in, like Troy Police Department, um, Oakland County Sheriff's Department is joining in now. Um, and now the program seems to be building. So it is exciting to be on the ground floor of that. Um, you know, coming in as a social worker, I didn't know how the relationships would go, you know, developing relationships with police as an outsider. Um, and it's gone above and beyond what I could have expected. Yeah. And I would echo that. I mean, there was apprehension, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially um, after the, you know, 2020 George Floyd was where the real big call yeah. came for social workers in our in our field. And there was a, from a law enforcement perspective, there was a little bit of fear, like, oh, people are going to come in and take over our jobs, which right. is totally not what the outcome has been. Um, the partnership has been amazing. Yeah. And the best part is, is the training and the things we realized we needed mm -hmm. um, once we got this program up and running. Yeah. Um, one of the things we talk about is CIT. Give us a little bit of explanation of what CIT is. Yeah. 
from your perspective as a um, co-responder, but also for the officer's um, perspective a little bit sure. and how, why it's so much advantageous for us. Yeah. So CIT stands for Crisis Intervention Team, um, and it's a 40-hour training that we put on for law enforcement. And by we, I mean Oakland Community Health Network puts it on, but partners with law enforcement. So there's law enforcement partners who are facilitators, and there's OCHN people that are facilitators, and we kind of come together um, and teach this training. So it's very, very basic skills that we can use or law enforcement can use out on calls um, to sort of help de-escalate a situation and obviously keep us away from use of force um, as much as possible and get people to the right resources in that moment um so we bring law enforcement in we kind of train them you know for that for that week and we've had a lot of really good um ex you know experiences and a lot of good feedback from law enforcement um it's it's been a really amazing program to be a part of and to see how each organization and some of our law enforcement officers are actually using those those skills out on scenes so um yeah, it's it's a really it's a great partnership, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, as, as one of the first co-responders, yes. well, the the first respond mm -hmm. co-responder in Oakland County. Um, come, obviously, working road patrol. We recognize the difference um, as an administration from the officers, and we get emails already um, from our residents mm -hmm. talking about the difference the, some of the officers have when yeah. we are dealing with someone in their family who has is suffering a behavioral crisis. Yeah. And that's one of the problems we run into in law enforcement overall is that we're asked and we've been tasked with so many other duties other than just enforcing criminal laws. Right. We are called upon for, you name it, to help with parenting at times, yeah. disorderly people, intoxicated people, drug overdoses. But yeah. our, one of the big ones that we always got stuck on is mental health. Mm -hmm. so somebody that's in a behavioral crisis, um, that some of us can't relate to necessarily because we haven't experienced it personally or in our families. Right. Um, so we do our best, but we didn't know the resources or what resources were out there. And in just the short, you know, it's been almost a year and a half, we'll say, mm -hmm. um, that the program's been there. The amount of people we have trained in CIT and in, in the crisis intervention training, peer support, has increased a, a lot. Um, yeah. I've talked about past Sergeant April Satala and uh, Officer uh, Jen Lauer at mm -hmm. our department who are who have really spearheaded our mental health yeah. programs and didn't just stop them at the core program, right? right. We, we continue to push forward, which is really filtered because of our program into other areas such as Royal Oak and Ferndale and Southfield and White Lake. And we, I mean, we yeah. can keep going on because we have such great, great relationships with those departments as well. Yeah. But these don't happen overnight. I mean, in and I think it's important for the community to know and other and people we meet monthly, correct? Yeah. Um, and we're always looking, talking. We're, we're evaluating the program to date mm -hmm. um, and trying to figure out how we go better. And the, the number of I mean, I think we started with what maybe 15, 20 people at now, and now we're probably up to 30, 40. I was just thinking the times. same thing. Yeah, it's growing exponentially. Every meeting we have more and more people there. Yeah, and it's we you know Auburn Hills is a great host for it. Mm -hmm. um, we do it once a month, and if needed, but then there's also subcommittees yes. on policies, on, on training, on where can we go. Um, and it's caught, luckily, it's caught some of the attention of some of our county commissioners, mm -hmm. um, our state reps that were now funded through this year, at least, on a grant, right? Um, the SAMHSA grant, and which really helped us because now we're able to expand the program. Mm -hmm. We added this year uh, the city of Rochester yes, um, and hired a second clinician. 
um, which took a while. But let's talk about that a little bit yeah. because there was such a call for this, um, the partnership between social work and law enforcement and the apprehension. But it just took us, what, about six months at least to find one candidate yeah. who wanted to do what you do. Yeah, I think finding the right social workers, the right people to, to fit this position is really important. Um, you want to hire someone who's... Um, who wants to form the relationships with law enforcement, you know, and be able to work together. Because if you don't have that partnership, it just doesn't work. Um, and a big part, going back to CIT too, a big part of CIT is um, helping officers know what resources are available um, in Oakland County. So when I'm on scene and there are some options available, if I have that relationship built with that officer, I, I can say, hey, have we thought about common ground as a resource? Have we thought about sober support unit? Those are different, you know, opportunities that I can present to officers, but it helps to have those relationships built. Um, so finding the right candidate, the right people to really fit this position, it's tough. It's hard work. So It is hard work, and it's that unknown. You are responding yeah. in real time mm -hmm. to, the, uh, to law enforcement-related matters. Obviously, we've built in safety protocols. Um, one, you wear a ballistic vest just yep. as an officer, but it's differentiated from us. It says social worker everywhere. It's gray, not blue. Yep. Um, or when the county goes to their black uniforms. And we're trying to keep that consistent now as, as departments build this out so that it becomes a norm. Yes. Um, but the number of people who even trust law enforcement a little more coming into those situations who think they may end up, think they're going to jail mm -hmm. or going to a hospital, we're able to maybe doing a little bit of an assessment on scene and realize they're not an immediate threat to themselves or anybody yeah. else, and they can stay home, and we can follow up the next day to make sure they're getting the resources or they contacted their their clinicians, whoever they're using. Yes. So coming from the outside, though, um, do you see the the need? Do you feel the officers felt this was a need, uh, but not maybe didn't recognize it at the time when it was coming together? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I came in, first of all, nobody ever said, you know, like that they didn't want me there, right? But as the program developed and as I started showing up on scenes, more and more officers started saying things to me like, wow, like, you know, like the need was there. I just didn't know exactly what you would do or <clears throat> what kind of resources you would provide. So then, you know, some officers kind of started coming out of the woodwork and saying like, I used to be a naysayer, right? I wouldn't have said it, but now I totally, like, we need to have you just for our department, you right. know? So. And that's one thing we've realized mm -hmm. um, is while you share the workload right now with four agencies <clears throat> until our other uh, clinicians on board here, hopefully very soon, mm -hmm. um, this didn't happen overnight one. Like we, you rode with each agency for months yep. before we actually took, um, or for weeks at least, before you started actually taking um, or co-responding with us to build that relationship, to get the understanding. We needed to understand the social work aspect of it. Right. And you needed to kind of understand the more the law enforcement aspect and how we did it. Mm -hmm. And what you did, which really helped the officers is, what you know the questions you ask what are you apprehensive about mm -hmm. where can we bridge this gap and it's it's really been in my opinion seamless from an administrative point of view um we talk about co-responding yeah um you know you get a car you get a vest you get a police radio yep um if most people didn't know they would think you are a police officer because right. of the gear that you get that you're not armed yep um 
but you respond to, to runs with us. Yeah. So this year, year to date, what do you think, how many calls have you co-responded where you've actually been dispatched with an officer to the residence? Right, so year to date, um, I've gone on 30 different calls. I've been on scene with officers for 30 different calls just for Bloomfield Township. Um, and that's not including like I was gone for a whole month. Um, so that's really looking at just three months. Um, so, and those calls continue to increase um, over the last, three days, I think I've been on like nine different calls. So um, the calls keep coming in, you know, um, it's it's job security for me for sure, but it's it's ever growing. It's always, there's always a need. Um, mental health is huge. I think the statistic was 10% of police calls end up being mental health calls. Just from my perspective and my opinion, I think it's much higher. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's crazy to me to think that that's, that's it because when we developed the program, we did not. Re we realized there was a mental health component or behavioral substance abuse component to a lot of what we do. Yeah. Um, for us, we overloaded jails mm -hmm. or we overloaded hospitals because as a, before we knew the resources, uh, we, what else? We, we were kind of stuck. Yeah. Um, now we're able to go directly to Common Ground, mm -hmm. or we we have that you know the connections with Common Ground, where or Havenwick, yeah. um, where we can take people to get them the immediate help. Because we don't want to, we don't need to fill up emergency rooms with people who need right. psychiatric care, immediate psychiatric care, yep. which the hospitals are overloaded, um, mm -hmm. especially during a pandemic, right? So, um, we we did talk a little bit about that, that. When we built the program, we were really thinking about the number of mental health calls. We didn't really factor in how many family troubles mm -hmm. may the underlying cause be. Yeah. Um, we also. Do some proactive things, mm -hmm. um, which we started kind of doing after some critical incidents here in Bloomfield Township and in um, other jurisdictions. As if we have a fatal car accident, I know I personally have asked you, hey, these people witnessed some really, yes. you know, disturbing things. Mm -hmm. Would you mind just reaching out and telling them who you are and why you would, you know, do it? And I think that really helps bridge this gap, even with our community and you. I mean, we have people ask about our co-responder program now yeah. because of things like that. Yeah. So I have stats here too, which um, again. Our stats, we can look at them many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, if a dispatcher takes a call for service, they may put it in as a mental health run or a family trouble. Right. But after the officers mm -hmm. get there, we may determine that it is a mental, somebody in a mental health crisis or behavioral crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, so that call may be logged into our computer system as a family trouble, but in turn, in our report writing system, it's a little bit, it, it could be a little more of a... Um, right mental health call. But just this first quarter alone, um, our system shows that we've put in 66. So this is just from January 1st till now, 66 mm -hmm. crisis outreach referrals. Now, I know not every one of them requires follow-up from you because some of them are already getting services. Right. Um, but we at least let you know about them or we code them that way so we know when there's the repeat runs. Our goal, One of the goals is to stop the repeat runs to mm -hmm. residents. Um, but you're probably seeing, now you you know some of our residents. I do, yep. You know, that we're, that mm -hmm. we're seeing. But I pulled numbers from 2018 to 2022. And we only ran, I don't say only, because it's still significant. And again, this is only calls that were labeled mental health. Okay. Um, we went on 58 then, um, and we're up to 85 this year, yeah, uh, or I'm sorry, in 2022, we're already at almost 50 
for this year mm -hmm. where it's just that again that doesn't include substance abuse calls that doesn't include family troubles or domestic violence cases or any other type of case that may involve a behavioral issue um these are just the ones we knew going into them yeah um that were mental health runs it's it is really its own epidemic or pandemic in itself it is yeah mental mental health um is a problem right now you know we see that we know that it's real um and for the amount of referrals that I've gotten just from Bloomfield Township on top of those 66. So I have a total of 95 referrals from officers that have come in beyond those crisis outreach calls, right? So like you said, domestic violence, family troubles, welfare checks, whatever that may be, um, I'm getting those referrals and having to follow up. So there's definitely an increase um, in mental health concerns. And I think some of that is COVID related. I think when COVID happened, the anxiety has been has gone on a spike. Um, we see it in teens we see it in school and we definitely see it in adults too let's talk about you said teens real quick and mm -hmm. the other day my i was um showing a video that i think it was made by dove and it's it's a literally a video it's a, about three minutes long yeah and it's about teens mm -hmm. social media and mental health yeah. and the damage that this social media is doing to our teens mental health mm -hmm. it's actually scary um the instant gratification that we need now. Um, you know, we can order from Amazon right now, and by home, by the time we get home tonight, we might have the product at yeah. our door. Um, and we're running into the problems with teens, especially at you know preteen or early teens, of the need for that acceptance. Yep. Um, and we're seeing, or, or especially you coming from a school district that before here. There's a danger there, and we really need to get the word out to parents to monitor social media. Yes. It, it is causing depression. It is causing social, you know, mm -hmm. uh, anxiety yeah. um, and panic attacks because we're, we need that immediate acceptance. And it's, it's kind of alarming. It is alarming. And cyberbullying is at an all-time high right now. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? That social media. There are apps that we're discovering every day that we didn't know about um, where you know teens or kids have the opportunity to talk back and forth gaming, right? They're talking to each other back and forth on gaming, and it's really hard to censor exactly what's being said back and forth or who they're talking to. Um, so it, it's a really tough thing to monitor when it comes to social media. And you're talking about, you know, kids who whose brains are still being developed and who are really easily influenced um, and now running into these like bullying issues from online. And it's, it is creating a problem. It's scary. Yeah. Um, this year, last year alone, we went on 27 suicidal people. That was the actual call that came in. Yeah. That's not including the one. That's not including ones that where we went to a again a problem with right. a teen or or something that may have just called you for advice because the officers are saying, hey, we have a, a social worker that works with us. You can give her a call to find out how mm -hmm. you might handle this situation when your 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 child's saying something that you just don't know how to handle right. or you're paranoid because they said something you know whether they were mad or not and mm -hmm. we're, we're running into that um so again i can't stress how important um this program has been to our agency and again that partnership with you know we've really created the partnership with yeah. auburn hills and birmingham let's talk a little bit about how you op how your day looks then. So sure. your work week mm -hmm. divided amongst four agencies, <laughs> yeah. right? One person, four agencies. Yep. Um, so how does that work for you? But yeah, it's really hard to nail down a weekly schedule just because I am kind of everywhere. Um, but so typically I try and do um, four 10 hour days and 
when this program started, you guys had done a really great job of tracking data on when the high volume of calls comes in or mental health calls come in. So <clears throat> I try and be, I'm trying to work on those days where that high volume of calls come in. Um, I have my own vehicle. Um, and so I keep, like you said, the police radio on and I'm tracking all four departments. So I'm just listening for those keywords, welfare checks, domestic violence, family trouble. Um, when those calls come out, I really try to pay attention to what's going on. Um, and then, you know, I'll call in to dispatch and let them know that I'm going to that call or dispatch will call me and send me to that call. Um, so that's part of my day is the co the actual co-response piece where I'm out in my car, um, kind of bouncing around mm -hmm. from city to city. The other part is follow up, which is another crucial, you know, I think part of what I do, which is I'm sitting at a desk, um, calling back individuals who police have had run-ins with, and maybe I couldn't have been there, but now they want me to follow up because maybe it is their son is suicidal and they need me to follow up with them. Um, and that call happened at 2 AM and I'm not there. Um, or they might need some resources like ther therapy resources. Um, that's where it's really great where we have that partnership with OCHN because they have a lot of those resources and I kind of have them in my toolbox where I can offer those resources to people. Um, so I do a lot of follow-up phone calls uh, to families, to individuals, those kinds of things to see what kind of resources they need. So that's kind of the other part of my job. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, that could take a couple hours um, or it could be less, just depends. So that's kind of what I'm doing. The other kind of fun part of my job is you know, detectives will pull me in on cases or ask me to help out with different things. Um, so every day looks a little bit different and it's really exciting. That's what I like about my job is I never know what the day is going to bring. Right. So. Um, internally. Yeah. We've talked, uh, we've, I've hosted other podcasts and we talked about crisis, or I'm sorry, peer support teams. Um, and obviously immediately you were thrust into some even mm -hmm. internal agency things that came about unexpectedly um, with tragedies either internally for our agency right. um, or within Bloomfield Township, I should say, um, involving our officers and or people have just come to you, mm -hmm. you know, afterwards or, or being on a scene and we have an outlet because you have built that trust. Right. And that is something when when people, I know officers have said to you in the past, man, we could just hire you for our own place. And <laughs> It's because we're recognizing the need, and I and I that's where I give Sergeant Swatala and Officer Lauer a lot of credit. Is that we recognize the need, mm -hmm. we're cr trying to create the avenues and the comfort level for officers to feel that it's okay to come talk to somebody, right? But we don't just want to go talk to anybody. Right. We, we're going to talk to people that we trust, and mm -hmm. I think that's something big um, that you've brought to that. With that though, is debriefs, yeah, critical incident debriefs, yep. which. You know, we put officers in patrol cars and we tell them to go from one scene to another scene to another scene. And sometimes it could be days in between, you know, a major incident or it could be, you know, back to back calls. Right. Um, whether it's an injured child and then a fatal car accident. Um, you've been proactive with our people mm -hmm. um, and seeking them out when that happens. But it's also, you know, I know there was a tragedy in Birmingham where yeah. we were able to assist our agency was able to go down our crisis yes. intervention, our peer support team, and you mm -hmm. to do a debrief um, with all the officers. Right. Um, that's been pretty, and some of them we didn't think would talk, but we're actually pretty open. I've been really like impressed and surprised myself um, to see how it's called critical incident stress management. Those debriefs um, have gone so incredibly well. Um, you know, officers 
are are trained to just go to, like you said go to these calls go to back to back you know calls that could be potentially traumatic and they just learn to just go with it and don't realize how it's affecting them mentally um so when they have the chance you know to stop and really kind of talk about that and they're given that permission um it is really good to see some of that kind of unfold and we've seen internally like you said some of our officers who've really been to some horrific scenes and now we're kind of dealing with the aftermath of that and have made incredible progress um but it, it is something we we always have to pay attention to as officer wellness that yeah. is hugely important and with i mean you you started just prior to oxford yeah um and we were able to loan your services obviously you have a, you have a prior school yeah. background with students um but we were able to allow you and your team and some of and Mm -hmm. um, some of the other co-responders who were on boarding at the time, that ability to go help out on situations such as that, right. um, which, you know, you look at MSU, yep. that affects our entire community. We have parents, we have, you mm -hmm. know, um, residents who go to MSU yeah. that could have been affected by it. And we know we had some cases where we did respond on some things right. uh, related to it. So I, I just, again, that value, and I know mm -hmm. we're talking to the community about it, but I think it's so important for everyone to understand the value behind it. And I, I, I as an administrator of a police department, really respect how the other chiefs of police and community leaders have opened the door to this idea, um, recognizing that there is a partnership to be had here. Yeah. Um, and the things that we can hopefully provide for our officers. Cause again, I don't go on calls every day anymore, right. but I have, I'm sure have to provide the resources for our officers to make sure that we have a successful ending um, and do everything we can to try to reduce the use of force yes. um, on cases. And luckily, we, luckily here, we don't have a high amount of use of force, but the ones that we do mm -hmm. typically involve some type of behavioral crisis yeah. um, cool. or substance abuse. Right. One of the parts of my job that I haven't mentioned, but is one of my favorite parts of my job is jumping into the car with one of our officers and just riding with them for a few hours and part of that is you know any kind of call could pop off and I happen to be in the car with them and it might not be something I would normally go to but it ends up being a mental health call or has mental health elements you know within it the other part is I continue to work on that relationship and I hear what's going on with that officer and that's what I really like is kind of knowing how that officer is doing kind of you know hearing from them um, and it just it's that relationship building but it also helps me kind of know what's going on yeah and before we end it today, I think there's just a way when we talk about the proactivity or a success story, as I know yeah. back, uh, it was probably two or three months ago now, maybe a little longer, um, in the fall, maybe last year, when we did have a tragedy of a construction yeah. worker who was uh, tr you know, tragically killed on a scene. Right. And you were training, if I remember correctly, you were training um, Ken from, from, yeah. Yeah, from uh -huh. Troy, um, and you were able to respond to that scene because it was witnessed, mm -hmm. um, and you guys were able to debrief or at least have conversations with the other coworkers um, who were on scene there. Right. And that's something we, as a law enforcement agency, would not have been able to provide. You guys came to the scene. Mm -hmm. um, while the officers were investigating what happened, you guys were able to pull aside um, the co-workers and actually kind of debrief yeah i mean that that was kind of our whole goal was to triage you know the those co-workers and make sure that we're working with those who are more highly impacted um and dealing with you know whatever crisis they're dealing with right right in that moment and then the great part of that too was being able to relate some information that needed to go back to law enforcement on the scene so working with the sergeant who was on the scene and being able to relay some information like hey you might need to go and talk to so-and-so about this because here's a concern or worry that they have and kind of 
again, bridging that gap. Um, but yeah, that was absolutely an honor to be on and be a part of. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the ones that were going on where you are needed yeah. end in tragedy or right. because of a tragedy, but it's that proactiveness that we talk about. And I can, again, I think of another one that we had was a, um, a death scene that I remember being there and you, you came down to the scene and the family like was, we were on scene talking with the family and they were yelling for you to come over so they could actually talk to you because yeah. um, <clears throat> you built that trust right away. They recognized the reason you were there. And I know it just makes our job so much more efficient, so yeah. much in the residents a lot, you know, it's a service to the residents that they deserve. Right. Um, and, and that's what we do. So I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Okay. Um, there's so much more. We could, we could go oh, on yeah. for days on this topic because sure. it's so, so important, but I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great. All right. Appreciate it. We'll take a break. We'll be back shortly. Well, I'm still soaked and muddy, but we had um, an altercation between roommates. Um, one roommate got upset, hit the other roommate, and then pepper sprayed him and took off on foot. So we knew that he didn't have a car. We were able to determine that the other roommates had keys to the car. So my job, which I was actually on my way into work, so they called me on the radio and said, hey, we need you over here. I said, okay, no problem. That's where I'm heading. So once I got there, uh, I took an officer and it's like, okay, let's find out where this guy went. And darn if he didn't immediately go down to a ravine toward the Rouge River. And so we had to go down this, you know, it's extremely steep ravine. You could actually see where he had lost his footing and his butt or something hit the ground and he just slid the entire way down. And plots, plots, plots. He went down here. No, here, here, here. Vince was on him, and it was anything I could to hold that poor dog back. You see it? His footprint's right there. Here! Easy. Easy. So what did I do? Hit, hit my butt on the ground? All right, let's go, and just slid my way down the ravine. I'm a little wet still. You know, we had to find our way across the river because we could see where the suspect had crossed the river. Uh, unfortunately, it was pretty deep, so we actually found a tree that had fallen across, so we were able to get Vince across on that and then get ourselves across. Um, so we tracked a little bit over a mile and a half, but we just couldn't, we, we just couldn't get him. Um, unfortunately, the guy had about an hour and a half head start, so, you know, we were really behind him on that at that point, so uh, we did our best. Good boy, good boy, come on, pick it up. Like, what the hell, mommy? You just made me cross a log. We'll do another track later, a practice track, so he can end successfully and get to play. Welcome back to our Community Readiness Podcast. I just want to take a minute to update the community on some of the activities that are occurring in Bloomfield Township and uh, around our local jurisdictions. Uh, we have still seen an increase uh, or continued increase in auto thefts. Uh, we still cannot stress enough to remove your key fobs from your vehicles. The majority of the cars that have been stolen over the last couple of weeks have all had the key fobs left in the vehicles. Um, we also did uh, last Wednesday, April 19th, myself, uh, our Oakland County Commissioners from Bloomfield Township and Pontiac, along with Michigan State Police, Oakland County Sheriff's Department, and many of the agencies that border Woodward Avenue, uh, met 
in relation to the drag racing and to the noise on Woodward. We continue to combat this problem. We are working with our lawmakers. We're working with our county commissioners and state legislators to work on a solution to these problems. We are well aware of them. Uh, unfortunately, right now, there's very limited state laws that we can write and enforce, re reference these matters, but we are out there enforcing what we can. Uh, and we also have overtime detail cars strictly in, uh, assigned to the Woodward Avenue corridor on the weekends to hope, hopefully curb some of the unsafe driving behaviors that we're seeing. Also last week on April 17th, uh, our officers responded to the Bed Bath & Beyond here in Bloomfield Township uh, on re in reference to a retail fraud. Uh, they were able to catch up to the suspects in a vehicle uh, and make an arrest to, on these two individuals from Ohio who had been here stealing, uh, as they quoted in the, in the news articles, a plethora of uh, candles from Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, our officers recovered over $1,600 worth of candles. These two individuals who were arrested, uh, again, were from Ohio. They have a long history for organized retail fraud. They were both arrested, charged with retail fraud uh, in the first degree, um, one of them in a second, uh, third degree for another. Uh, the bonds were able, they were able to post the bonds and they're back out, so hopefully they've learned their lesson, but they're awaiting uh, their next court date. We also uh, were involved if, on Telegraph last week of another retail fraud that involved a foot pursuit with our officers across Telegraph Road. Uh, individuals were at Costco stealing items. Uh, they were observed by the loss prevention, and up, upon arrival of the officers, they fled on foot. Uh, our officers engaged in a, a foot pursuit with them and were able to take one subject into custody, and I believe we identified the other. So we continue to be proactive. Uh, we're still responding to several crimes in our area. The majority of them are still property crimes. Uh, we're asking our residents, we need your assistance. We can't be everywhere. We consider our res residents our force multiplier. Your cameras, your phones, uh, and your cooperation with us really help us out. If you need anything from the Bloomfield Township Police Department, please do not hesitate, hesitate to call our agency. Uh, the phone number again, the non-emergency line is 248-433-7755. That's 248-433-7755. And if you're in an emergency, do not hesitate to call 911. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.